This week's episode of the Cloudcast is brought to you by Intel Cloud for All, driving the creation of thousands of clouds. Cloudcast Media presents from the massive studios in Raleigh, North Carolina. This is the Cloudcast with Aaron Delb and Brian Gracely, bringing you the best of cloud computing from around the world. Good morning, good evening, wherever you are, and welcome back to the Cloudcast, coming to you once again, as always, live from the massive Cloudcast studios here in Raleigh, North Carolina. Aaron, back on another streak, two in a row. How are you tonight? Doing good, doing good. Um, in honor of our, our guest tonight, I actually have um, a uh, glass of Breckenridge um, nice. whiskey here uh, from from the uh, office out in Colorado. So in, uh, it'll become relevant here in a second, but uh, certainly uh, celebrating tonight. Yeah, and it, 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 what, it has to be whiskey because it wasn't actually made in, uh, even though it, it, I think it says a different thing on the bottle. It doesn't have to be from a certain state to be called that certain thing. Yes, that is correct. All right. All you right. want to introduce the guest and then we'll connect the dots? Yeah, so why don't we do that? So, uh, you know, welcome back to the show. Uh, old friend of the show, uh, Kenny, Kenny Kendrick, Kendrick Kenny Coleman. Kenny, welcome back to the show, man. Thanks. I think I just had four first names right there. Yep. There you go. That's right. And, and you got a title today on Twitter from, from Brian. Yeah, I saw that the 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 spokesperson for the millennials, I believe. No, you're our uh, you're our chief millennial correspondent. Oh, I'll take uh, it. Instead of stealing from the Daily Show, where we have uh, correspondence for things. Oh, let me go ahead and update my LinkedIn profile. There you go. Hey, listen, um, so uh, good to have you back. It's been a while since uh, since you've been on. Um, you are you are you are now in the in the podcasting profession. So so tell us beyond your your technical work. What are you doing in the podcasting world these days? Yeah, so that's where I guess the, the dots are starting to connect. So I run a podcast that's all focused on bourbon. And I really stole your all's format. So really, you, you guys kind of paved the way for me. So we, I run a podcast that's called the Bourbon Pursuit Podcast, where we interview people that make the bourbon industry happen. That's master distillers, people who are restaurateurs, people who sell certain food products, um, tourism, hotels, all these different things that where it has some sort of influence on the bourbon industry, but these people actually have a story to tell. And so we bring them on and we kind of understand the history of their love affair and their affinity with bourbon and how it's influenced their lives. And, and it's amazing the the depth of knowledge and the amount of information that people are are wanting to to kind of grab and, and, and hold on to because uh, we've actually just surpassed the 50,000 download mark with 43 episodes. So nice. we're, uh, we're right on track to start catching up with you all soon. There you nice. go. Fantastic. That's awesome. And, and for anybody who doesn't know you, I mean, you're, you're in Louisville, you're sort of in the bourbon capital of the world. I mean, you're, you're talking to people whose names on the bottle, right? Names on the building, names on the bottle type of people as well as everybody else. Yes, absolutely. So we're releasing two episodes here in the next two weeks. We've got Fred No, who is the master distiller at Jim Beam. Uh, his father was Booker No. So when you go to the when you go to the shop and you see the the boxes of you know actually there's bottles of bourbon in a box and it's called Booker's. That was his father. And we're also releasing one with Chris Morris, who is the master distiller at Woodford Reserve. So a lot of those names and those brands are pretty prominent, the ones that you would see when you walk into a liquor store. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. So that's, that's very, very cool. It's a fun show, um, especially if you want to get away from tech for a little while and, uh, you know, kind of dig into some stuff that, that people are equally as passionate about. Um, so, so tonight's going to be a little bit a different show. Every once in a while, we, we sort of go back to our original roots and, 
Aaron, Aaron knows this, uh, the, the origin of the show, um, sorry folks for everybody who's a listener was, was kind of selfish for me and Aaron. It was basically, we don't know something about something and we just go out and find people that, that do know about it. And we kind of, we do the podcast version of let me Google that for you or, you know, something for dummies. So, uh, so Kenny tonight, you're, you're going to be a little bit of a Guinea pig for us. Um, so we've been going to a bunch of events and we've been, you know, uh, tinkering around with various things on the internet and, and everything these days has an API. Everything is something with an API and I don't speak API. So what we need you to help us do tonight, uh, as, as well as you can via an audio medium, as opposed to a visual medium is how do we figure out from, from step one, how to talk to an API so we can do cool stuff. Right. So I think the, the thing that everybody's already forgetting is that you're already interacting with APIs every second of the day almost, right? When you're using your phone and say you're checking the weather on your weather.com app or you're going into a website and you're looking at a specific record, odds are you're doing some sort of API call to even make that happen, right? So you're interacting with APIs every day even though you're not necessarily talking to them. Gotcha. So, yeah, so I mean, I guess I guess there's always you know, where do you begin, right? If you actually want to start developing something and and actually make something cool, right? Because this is one of the things that we've talked about for years, uh, you know, is a vendor shows you something and you say, okay, show me the API. And we've said that, but what are we going to do with it? And I think that one of the things that your listeners will be more akin to or really take an understanding is that, an API allows you from an infrastructure perspective to kind of just do whatever it is that you want it to do. You can integrate it into your existing workflow. You can start automating things. You can start building things. Uh, and you can probably start going on more vacations, right? That's, that's kind of the, hopefully the, the end goal of it all. Yeah. But the, 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 whole, the whole premise of an API, and by the way, we should probably say if anybody that's super noob right here, application programming interface. Right, so at least you you understand what the the yet another acronym stands for. Yeah. So so let me let me give you an example. So here's here's my uh, here's my example. So I was out at the Google event. Um, lots of lots of machine learning, which is you know super heady, you know complicated stuff. But they started talking about, hey, we have this we have this speech API, and and you know so so there's a machine learning service, and there's a speech API, and one of the things the speech API can do is uh, it lets you, it'll, it will translate, you know, audio into text. And I went, Oh, this is good. I have, you know, five years of audio files via the podcast and I can, I can throw them up in, in the Google cloud. And then I went, okay, how do I get, you know, speech API to consume or talk to all these files that I have? And so I sort of went, okay, let me use that as a basic example. So how would I, how would I begin to think about connecting those two dots together between a bunch of data and and this this programmable API service. Right. So they they've done the hard part for you already, right? They have an API that's built. Now how you consume that API is is really step two. And step two is where you have to start looking at what are called bindings. And bindings are certain languages that are now able to uh, interpret that API into something that you can understand. So if you're a, a Pythonista or you use Ruby or Go or uh, choose any of your favorite languages that are out there, there's a way that you now consume that API, but you build what's called a binding to it. And, and that binding allows you to, instead of having to write a, a long 
like say uh, JSON notation thing to be able to talk to that API. Instead, it's now like a one-liner, right? Like create new um, uh, thing that says I want to spit out, you know, my podcast to text, right? So once the once the binding's been built, then you can actually start writing the program. And so you're saying, well, how can I actually take this podcast and turn it into text? Well, that's really where all the magic has to start happening, right? You have to build some sort of application, and maybe the application doesn't even necessarily need a GUI. Uh, it can all be some sort of back-end processing or back-end application where we take the API and we take the binding and we write it. And what we're going to do is now that you're, you're maybe you're putting into Google Drive, so you probably need the Google Drive API. And so you would put in your credentials and you would now do a, you know, maybe a list or maybe a git and we want to get a specific episode. We would pull that in and then you would need to push that to the machine API or the text to speech API. So that's, that's one of the things that, that it's a, it's a continual process of actually trying to figure out what you need to talk to. But at the same time, it's also, uh, I guess you could say understanding, um, you know, how are you going to consume it? Right. And those bindings is, is, is one of the things that you kind of have to search for. Right. So if you are using Python or you are using, um, JavaScript, whatever it is, you would probably want to Google it, search on GitHub, because if you look 99% of the time, Somebody's already done the legwork for you where a, bind, a binding is already made. So even if you want to write to something that's YouTube or Twilio or Twitter or Facebook or any of these different languages, um, you don't need to try and talk directly to their API, right? You don't need to do certain REST calls or certain CRUD calls. And, and instead, you can just uh, take these one-liners and be able to, to talk in your native language of, of what you're actually trying to do. Okay. And and so, so let me ask ahead. you let me ask you this then. So again, I don't know that we kind of did we did the bourbon introduction, but but your day job is working for EMC Code, and yes. so so you you know this is where we're kind of connecting all the dots back to you know why you right and and so what are you specifically up to these days, and what are you doing? And I know EMC World's coming up, so there's probably some things you you can't talk about, but the things you can talk about of some examples of things you've already done where you've implemented this to give everyone some for instances. Oh, hell, we're, we're an open source group. I can talk about anything you want to talk about. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yeah, so uh, just, a, just a quick kind of recap of, of what we do. So I am a developer advocate on the EMC Code team who was originally spearheaded and ran by Brian. So Brian, thank you very much for the position that I'm in now. And it, yeah, so thank you. And what our team does is we're, as I said, developer advocacy, but focused primarily on open source and even narrowly more focused on Docker and Mesos and making a lot of storage persistence, uh, or you say open source uh, integrations and products within those sorts of markets. And to kind of talk about what we're doing and even in regards to APIs is so we have a, a another product so well, pro, sorry project called Rexray and what Rexray does is it actually talks to the Docker API and what this allows you to do is now to have storage persistence for uh, external volumes for uh, Docker containers. Uh, we've got another project that's called RackHD. RackHD is a bare metal orchestration tool. Um, you might say like yet do we need yet another like configuration management tool inside my data center? Well. It was created and kind of shepherded underneath our group because as the closer as you get to bare metal, the harder that it becomes to 
operationalize and automate a lot of those things because as soon as you roll a server into the data center on day one, getting it actually pushed into the cluster is becoming the hard part. So this is where the automation comes in. And to kind of even flip this a little bit, uh, so RackHD has its own API. It's written in Node, uh, so the, the API is all written in, in JavaScript. Now, the one thing that I was tasked with is I have to write bindings. I have to write API bindings in Golang for RackHD. And I'm not, you know, I've been using Go now for about the past six months, seven months, and it was, it was, pretty, tr- it was a pretty big task for me to kind of take on. And that's when I found out a little cool tool called Swagger. And so Swagger is essentially, and you can find out more about it, it's at swagger.io. And then there's another implementation called Go Swagger. But what it is, it's a way that you build your APIs inside of your applications uh, to then push it out to a YAML file. And then this YAML file will automatically generate bindings on whatever language you want to be able to push out. So if you want to do it in JavaScript and Ruby and whatever, instead of you having to sit there and write an entire binding, it's just a one-liner. And you say, Swagger generate um, this particular YAML file in whatever language I want. And so this is one of the ways that it's actually made uh, making APIs very, very easy for end users to start consuming because now you don't have to sit there. I mean, if you think about this, every service out there, whether it's Amazon S3 or EC2 or um, YouTube or Facebook or uh, Twilio, I've, I, I mean, you can US Soccer, uh, weather.com, everybody has an API. And the thing is, those APIs, you have, to, you have to sort of translate it into the language somebody wants to use. And so Swagger has made that uh, a little bit easier. Now, there is a, a, I don't know if you want to call it a competitor, but there is sort of a, 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 another option to Swagger, which is called uh, Apiary, which is A-P-I-A-R-Y. So there's, there's a few different things that are out there that are, are making uh, that, that next step a little bit easier in API consumption. Yeah. So, so go back, go back a little bit, so we don't <clears throat> jump too too far uh, for people that are that are trying to connect the dots. Um, <clears throat> the present company included. So, you you know, you talked about some of the programming languages. You know, just like in your example, you were talking about something in you know Node, which is JavaScript. You know, the Docker stuff is, I believe, all written in Go. So, you know, different language. And then we hear a lot about like REST APIs. Help us connect the dots between. Where does REST come into play, or what's REST's job in an API, and what's the the language and bindings job? Like, are they do they do they go together? Is it are, are you you know is is Java REST compatible? Like, connect those dots for us. Yeah, so uh, REST it actually stands for representational representational state transfer, um, and it, what this really does is it 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 creates. Uh, I guess it's really hard to kind of say it, but I mean, I guess you would call it like it's almost it's it's stateless uh, and it's just essentially just a communications protocol at the end of the day. Right. Um, And it's and you you talk over it through HTTP, which is pretty standard, pretty common. Right. Um, So once you have a a, a REST API, that API can be built in any language. It it doesn't matter what it's built in, um, but every language has some sort of ability to talk HTTP. And so when you need to, even on your own local laptop, and if you're on a Mac or a Linux or whatever, and you do curl, uh, C-U-R-L, and you want to get to a specific endpoint for an API, 
that's the same thing as if I was to do uh, a git or a post or whatever it is. Um, and so that's the, and I should probably take that one back a second and start connecting some more dots. So um, you have this idea of CRUD inside of most of applications, right? Which is create, um, remove, update, and destroy, uh, which would lead to post, uh, let's see, create, uh, remove, which would be delete, update, which is put or patch, and then um, destroy. I already said delete. Uh, well, there's another one, which is just git, right? Maybe I missed that one somewhere. But that that's essentially the way that you would talk, right? You would want to get information. I want to get, let's just say we have blobs, right? I want to get all my blobs, or I want to get one blob. I want to create one new blob. What's it called? Well, now I'm creating a new record for it. Uh, so there's there's kind of a way that the application's built and the API is uh, built around it. But the whole REST thing, as I said, it's just a communications protocol. So doing, and it's all running over HTTP, so it doesn't matter what language the API is built in, you can use any language to then talk to that API. Um, so it's, it's, it's a pretty standard concept uh, amongst pretty much any language that's out there to be able to to talk to APIs. Okay. Yeah, so, so at the end of the day, th- think of it as as REST is the the language, if you will, and and HTTP is the transport layer. If you is that kind of a good analogy? Yeah, that's that's the way. I mean, think of think of think of REST as kind of just this. Um, I guess you would say um, idea, right? It's it's a concept, right? And HTTP is the protocol, right? Uh, the way you build your REST pieces, right, doesn't really matter. Uh, it can be in whatever language that you want, um, but you need to have some sort of ability to be able to get, post, delete, whatever it is uh, from that API, depending on exactly what right. you want your application to be able to do. So you're basically taking what it, whatever the programming language you, you want to, in your case it was Go, and you're, you're using HTTP calls within Go that correspond to whatever REST, you know, interface or language or commands or, you know, interface. Um, so, yeah, it's kind of all making a flow that way. That's how you get from a programming language all the way to a call to something externally. Absolutely. And, and it's, it's really easy to kind of get started with it, right? And I, I wouldn't say if you're getting started with APIs to say, like, go build your own API because you have to have something, you have to have some sort of product or you have to have some, some thing to build an API around, right? So the easiest way is to actually start consuming APIs. And it doesn't really matter what language you want to use. If you're just starting with Python or you're just starting with JavaScript or Ruby, uh, you can, it's, I honestly, I, when I first started, I started using Twitter, the Twitter API, because it was dead simple to to kind of get used. It's it's basic authentication. Uh, when I say basic, like very basic, just username password. Like there's not like I need. I mean, I've got to have some sort of secret token. But it, it it was super simple to get used, and a lot of the bindings that are already out there are so mature that being able to implement that into your own program to say I want to. Uh, write a script, just a, a simple script, not even a real application, but a script that uses the API to then post a new a new tweet on Twitter that says, you know, hello world from my script or something like that. So that's one of the easiest ways to to really just get started is to to just start consuming that uh, just the in the first part. And then of course the next step is to you know really kind of build your own API, but you kind of have to have a product or something around it that you want to uh, build on top of. Yeah. 
So let, let me let me sort of ask you maybe, maybe one last one building on this thing. Um, so uh, I you know I, I pick a language. I'm gonna I'm gonna write an application in whatever. Uh, I'm gonna go talk to some well known REST API <clears throat> that's associated with a service. How do I then figure out like what capabilities that API has? Right. You, you know you talked about CRUD, but like you know we, we've heard various people say well you know, uh, such and such isn't completely compatible with this API or it doesn't expose all the things that an API can do. Like, like, is there sort of a, a query language that sort of says, what are you capable of doing? Or the, you know, the equivalent of like, you know, question mark for help. And it, and it sort of comes back to you and says, here's all the things that I can do. Or is that just, Wish it was uh, that easy. you know, go, go read the manual thing. Yeah, it's it's pretty much RTFM, right? There's a, it's always, always reading the docs, uh, any, any good API, uh, or any any kind of good generation usually has some sort of way to auto generate the the API documents for you already. So it's not a lot of manual effort into it. It's it's usually just a one liner to to generate all the HTML that would be needed to, to essentially document your API. Now that is one interesting thing that you said is uh, well, it's I have this feature function that's in my product, but it's not exposed to the API yet, and that's something that that you are going to see. It happens quite often, right? Uh, and just because the way that some products are built, uh, the API sometimes comes second, right? It, it's it's not always the, the the prime candidate to put in all the effort. So the they build in the features and functionalities into their main product that uh, might be accessed or used through some sort of CLI, but that CLI isn't really compatible with me wanting to write an application that interfaces with it, right? Um, mm-hmm. So if I have a CLI that wants to delete something within uh, the product that you or anybody else owns, that's great. That allows me to administrator, administrate it, but it doesn't allow me to really interface or like bring it back into um, some of the things that I want to do in regards to automation or in regards to um, you know into my own procedures and processes. So instead, uh, you've got to wait until somebody builds that the API that then essentially translates whatever sort of object that it's receiving and being able to take that and push it down into the server, into the application itself and make it perform that particular action. So that is that is one thing that, yeah, I guess it is pretty annoying when somebody says that, oh, sorry, it's not in the API yet or uh, the typical, don't worry, it's on the roadmap. Uh, but it's uh, it's something that that you are not. It's not uncommon to find. Okay. All right. Well, let, let's let's do this real quick. Um, just because we've we've given you this new job as our as our chief millennial correspondent, um, you sent out a tweet this morning. A couple of series of tweets because um, your wife's in the in the media industry or has a background in the media industry. You went you went to an event uh, yesterday or the night before that that sort of said, hey, you know. There's there's a big change coming in media. Obviously, we're we're sort of both at least part time in media. Give us the Cliff Notes version of of uh, what's coming, and you know wh- where should we get smarter, and where should we prepare to make changes? Right, and it, it, it's it's. I'm glad you kind of mentioned that because I, I think it's really pretty awesome. What um, you know, I, I had never actually been to University of Cincinnati last night, and going there, I got to see my wife really like in her element. So she was in the electronic media the. the 
the degree graduate program, whatever you want to call it, mm-hmm. at the University of Cincinnati. Uh, really big. They're really big for broadcasting. Really big for media, journalism, that sorts of thing. And the keynote speaker, uh, I forget his name, and I know that he worked for ABC for like thirty years until he retired, and then he moved back to uh, Ohio. But one of the things that he talked about was, and since it was actually an award ceremony at the banquet for some of the students in the program that were receiving scholarships, and the the things that he talked about were uh, the the graduates that were there. They were they were juniors and seniors in college, and he went on to say that essentially anybody that's in the eight today's eighteen to thirty four year old range is what's considered today's millennials. Uh, I'd fall just below that range, so uh, I, I feel. Uh, the older portion of it for sure. But what he said is the 18 to 34 age range is now the oldest age range, uh, the greatest, sorry, the greatest population age range uh, within inside of the United States. And the media today, uh, I mean, even the media of 10 years ago, it's been focused on a different generation. It's been focused on uh, the baby boomers or an older generation. And even the producers of a lot of the media and the news outlets, um, they're, they're not you know, in the thirties, right? They're not even in twenties. They're, they're 40, 50, 60 year old, uh, people. And the, the problem is, is that they're catering what they want to be able to see to their particular generation. And they're missing out on this whole mass market. And one of the things that he even said is he goes, most of the statistics that I'm going to tell you are actually coming from time Warner. And so he went on to even go say that, the the way media is consumed, uh, it's changed drastically. He said the hours of TV that that are even watched per household has decreased over fifty percent uh, within the past five years. And he even said, even based off geography, he said somebody that's in um, you know rural Tennessee uh, watches two times or watches two hours more of television per day uh, on average than somebody does in San Francisco. And the way that we're consuming media is continuing to change. Uh, He said that this new generation, they'd rather stream media than actually have a cable network or watch the news or anything like that. Um, I mean, we've we've all kind of watched this progress happen where, I mean, I don't get a newspaper anymore. I don't know if you all do, but – my parents still do. And I'm just like, well, we all just get our news from Twitter. That's, that's kind of how a a lot of stuff happens. Right. And, and a a lot of stuff is starting to happen in those like 30 second spans. Right. And it's one of those things that, um, what the keynote speaker kind of finished up with is saying that the, the news outlets, the media outlets, they need to start thinking about how are they going to tailor, um, media for the next generation. Right. Because, uh, attention spans are are drastically getting shorter. I can tell you that my two and a half year old can't even uh, take her eyes off the iPad for a few hours uh, when she is at home. But it's 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 showing that uh, they need to really start changing because this next generation is going to um, kind of make or break what's going to happen in media. Um, how are they going to be consuming it? Right? Because if it's not coming through your phone or your tablet, um, odds are it's probably not going to even be watched. Hmm. Interesting. So, so this, this sort of podcast phenomenon sort of aligns to, you know, it's, it's gotta be mobile. You gotta have it at any time you want. It's sort of time shifted. Um, the question becomes like for us, you know, are we, are we too long? Do we get too deep? Do we have to figure out a way to do short versions of stuff? Um, did they give you any insight into, you know, the, the type of content as opposed to like the length or the, the medium for it? You know, do they, you do know, they expect different kinds of shows, all reality. 
No, it wasn't. Yeah, not not. Yeah, it's not just a not not Kardashians every every twenty four seven, right? It wasn't like that. Um, no, it wasn't really going on to the the type of media. It was more or less the the type of medium, right? Uh, thinking about how how are people consuming things, how are people interacting? Um, you know, Snapchat was like one of the biggest things that they kind of talked about, right? Is 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 how is Snapchat changing? Uh, the way that people are even talking, um, you know, I think it was even a few months ago and uh, we kind of talked and joked about it on Twitter. Uh, people can now submit resumes through Snapchat, right? It, it's one of these things that you kind of have to have your 15 second pitch uh, ready to go. Um, so it, it's it's really amazing to, to kind of see how the world is changing uh, just in regards to that. Because you know we're all we're all Facebook friends. We love Facebook. We use Facebook, uh, but the the next generation they don't use Facebook, right? They they hate it. So it's it's one of those things to to you got to just find that that next big thing of of what it's going to be and and try to just keep holding on to it um, and and try to continually learn um, and try to figure out exactly how are people consuming these mediums. Uh, you know one one thing that he kind of talked about as well is you know you look at things like Vine. Uh, you know, people can advertise through Vine now. People, uh, you, you figure out ways to, to get to your audience through um, these different kinds of, um, you know, applications or whatever they are. Yeah. yeah. And so I'm going to, uh, quick question for Brian. Um, could you do away with TV as far as your kids are, good, are, are concerned? I'd, we could in our house. For, for <laughs> Yeah, for our kids, yeah, absolutely. Uh, for For me... For me, like they haven't figured out a way to do just sports, although it feels like it's kind of going down that road. Um, but uh, yeah, the whole like, hey, you could just go to the bar and watch the game. Like, nah, that doesn't. Like, I, I want to flop on the couch. Like, I don't want to hang out and eat wings for eight hours on Saturday. So, <laughs> yeah. Other, other than that, like, I yeah, we could get rid of TV in a heartbeat. I mean, it's the my kids ask for the thing streaming or whatever in the car more than they do in the house. Like they're, you know, frustrated that, that you know, there's not high speed internet into the car. That's, you know, it's that whole being on the move. <laughs> I mean, and they've been asking for that since they were like three years old. They're like, wait a second. Why does the thing that, that, you know, comes down in the backseat of the van, not give me, you know, Netflix. And you're like, yeah, we don't have internet in the car. And it's like, well, I don't have internet. I don't you know. So yeah, it's become sort of a basic human right to a certain extent. I was trying to explain to my daughter the other day, uh, cause she turned 10. I was like, well, here's all the things that have been invented since you were, since you were born. And it was like the iPhone, Netflix, uh, you know, Twitter, Snapchat, and like basically, you know, everything they do has been invented in the last 10 years and they don't, they can't comprehend like what would the world have been like without that? So yeah. my, my youngest asked the other day, what, what did I binge watch when I was a kid? <laughs> and then, and then also another one too, is, you know, my oldest, um, She's she's watching a show. I don't remember which one it is right now, but there's like ten seasons, right? And and we were we were saying about, hey, you know, it took her I don't know a couple months to get through all ten seasons, but we were like, yeah, it took us ten years because it was one <laughs> one season, one year, and she was she just looked, she's like, I could never do that. So <laughs> it's impossible. Yeah, and it, you know, between the streaming stuff and 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 absolutely, you know, Snapchat, uh, getting all the news off Twitter. I mean, I completely agree. Um, and I do um, manage uh, millennials as well, um, and uh, I it's it's it is very much a different mindset than the rest of the team. And it's not. Don't get me wrong, because I I think a lot of you know they get a bad knock and a bad reputation at times. It's not worse. It's just different. Um, it, and that's you always say that you know it's it's it, that kind of even takes you back to that one article that um, you know she she 
you know, sent out blasting her her Yelp CEO, right, saying that you know maybe people they should feel entitled to it or whatever. And it it really, I mean, I don't I don't agree with it at at all. But it it kind of just goes to show you some of the things that the the millennials that how they they kind of picture this world um, that maybe they're not entitled to it, but it, it's it's sort of a way that uh, they're they're just tr- they're trying to maybe make the easy way out. But the thing is, like everything's been pretty much easy and, and given to them uh, just because things are so easily accessible. Right. Um, but you yep. know, it's just the way that media has changed. Right. And it's, it's developed uh, to the point where it is easily consumable. And the, 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 the hard thing to kind of realize is that anybody in any industry, you've got to figure out how are you going to start catering to this new generation, to these needy, wanty people, because that's going to be, that's the biggest population there is. Yeah. Yeah, it's the new it's the new population, and it's and it's well, it's not just media. It's going to be, you know, how they buy clothes, how they tell their friends about them, how they. I mean, like, it has these ramifications. I mean, I I hear parents talking about you know their daughters who, you know, don't want to have two pictures on Facebook or Instagram or something that are the same one you know in in three months because it's like oh I'm going to need new clothes or I'm going to need to, and it's and it's popping up all these businesses that do you know short term this and short term that and. Um, yeah, it, it has it has big ramifications. It's just yeah, people sort of need to think through. You know, how are you going to go capture those things? And I, I guess from our perspective, like, and I'll, I'll wrap it up on this. Like, you know, we 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 tend to sort of look at some of these platforms and go like, oh my gosh, they're you know they're they're huge and dominant and Facebook and but you know if the next the next wave doesn't like Facebook, you know, Facebook may become the next thing that goes away. You know, after seven to ten years because. They just don't use it, and something something else became faster, cheaper, less friction, whatever it is. So, you know, it gives gives you gives you hope to sort of figure out what the next thing might be because it, it may not be as dominant as it was, you know, years ago, like ABC or NBC or something like that. Mm-hmm. So, well, listen, man, um, it's great to talk to you again. Thank you so much for uh, for the tutorial. We've got some things to go learn. Um, good to have you on board as our as our chief millennial correspondent. We'll uh, we'll bring you back. Uh, we may have to bring you back around the Kentucky Derby. Give us uh, give us some bourbon tips as far as making uh, juleps and stuff like that. Uh, but, we're not uh, far away. Absolutely. Give us uh, give us a plug. Where can people go uh, go stalk you and find you on the internet and, and meet up with you in real in real life? Because you're out at lots of events and meetups and stuff. Yeah, so uh, you can always find me on Twitter at Kendrick Coleman. Uh, have a kind of stale blog now, but KendrickColeman.com. Uh, my team is EMC Code. You can follow that at EMC Code. Uh, of course, EMC World is coming up, and that's sort of heads down. Everybody's kind of uh, focused in on, on that right now. We're going to have our own track at EMC World called Code and Modern Operations. So we've got, uh, I think, 21 sessions uh, for our entire team there. So you can definitely wow. check us out there, and uh, we'll always be at, we'll be at DockerCon, MesosCon, uh, all those kind of new cool infrastructure cons that'll be coming up here uh, in the next few months. Nice. Nice. Very good. Well, listen, uh, thank you again for being on Aaron. Uh, want to wrap it up. We'll give uh, folks one more show to listen to for the weekend while they're mowing the grass. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, two and two and one week. If we can get this thing kicked out tomorrow morning, um, <laughs> but absolutely. Thank you, uh, Kenny for your time this evening and, and for Brian and myself, thanks again for listening and we'll talk to everyone soon. Thank you for listening to The Cloudcast. Please visit thecloudcast.net to find more shows, show notes, videos, and everything social media. 